chapter to the Corinthians and we'll read chapter 4. Carl's message this morning to us is death in us and life in you. And that will become apparent as we read this passage. The word of God where it says, Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, It is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ, our Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts, to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed, We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that his life may be revealed in our mortal body. So then death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. It is written, I believed, therefore I have spoken With the same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak. Because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you in his presence. All this is for your benefit, so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Let's pray. Lord God, these are precious words uh, and glorious words and we ask that they would be precious and glorious to us, that we would love them and love you because of them. Lord, uh, strengthen us, we pray, for gospel ministry. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.
Well, this is my favourite passage in the Bible, uh, probably by a long way. Uh, it's uh, also a special passage uh, for this church. I don't know how many people remember, but this is the passage that w- we used for Graham and Linda's commissioning service two years ago. As we sent them off to South Sudan, we looked at these words. Uh, I come back to this passage all the time, and every time I love it. Uh, and then I forget about it. I don't know if you have that. And I forget that it exists. And then all of a sudden I remember it and I rediscover it and we fall in love all over again. These are wonderful words. They're words that Paul uses to describe his ministry. Uh, We're going through the book of 2 Corinthians here at the moment and last week we looked at the shape of Paul's ministry and here again Paul continues to talk about his gospel ministry. Last week I said ministry just means service, that's all, it just means to serve and gospel ministry just means serving people with the words of the gospel. It's not about having a particular role, being a youth leader or being a pastor, but it's about what every Christian does, serving people with the words of the gospel, whether serving people to bring them to faith or whether serving people to bring them to maturity. And like all of the, uh, the sections of the book of 2 Corinthians so far, it encapsulates that big theme of Jesus Christ crucified in weakness and raised by God's power. And it seeks to kind of work out and to play out and to explain how it is that the crucifixion, the weakness of Jesus and the power of God works out in the Christian life and in Christian ministry. So what is gospel ministry like? Well, Paul, first of all, says that gospel ministry, the gospel ministry which he has received from God, is a plain but a powerful ministry. So look at verse 2. Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, we, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. Uh, in the passage just before, Paul has talked about his ministry as being an aroma, a fragrance of life to some and the stench of death to others. So some people received his ministry favourably and other people rejected it out of hand. And you could understand in that situation that it would be tempting to kind of tweak the message a little bit. That maybe if you could just kind of fine-tune it, that people would be a little bit more attracted to the message. Maybe downplay a few things. Downplay uh, the evil of sin. Or maybe take away the idea that we need to submit to Jesus. Focus on forgiveness, kind of elevate that a bit. Minimise repentance, turning away from sin. Maybe dress up the gospel with a, with a touch of prosperity, financial prosperity, or, or you know, your life will be fantastic. Your life will be, you'll be successful. Maybe if we could do those things, then it wouldn't be this uh, fragrance of life to some and uh, stench of death to others. But Paul says, no, we don't do that. We reject that. We've renounced secret and shameful ways. We don't use deception. 
J.C. Ryle, uh, who's a bishop in the Church of England uh, at uh, the end of the 19th century, uh, wrote in his books, Knots Untied, that the gospel is, I love this, a most curiously and delicately compounded medicine. You can only say that in the 19th century. It's a medicine, he says, that is very easily spoiled. And then he goes on to list some of the ways that we can spoil the gospel. He says we can spoil the gospel by substitution. You only have to withdraw from the eyes of the sinner, the grand object which the Bible proposes to faith, Jesus Christ, and to substitute another object in his place, the church, the ministry, the confessional, baptism, the Lord's Supper, and the mischief is done. Substitute anything for Christ and the gospel is totally spoiled. He goes on, you can spoil the gospel by addition. You only have to add to Christ, the grand object of faith, some other object as equally worthy of honour, and the mischief is done. Add anything to Christ, and the gospel ceases to be a pure gospel. You can spoil the gospel by interposition, whatever that means. He goes on, you have only to push something between Christ and the eye of the soul to draw away the sinner's attention from the Saviour and the mischief is done. You can spoil the gospel by disproportion. You only have to attach an exaggerated importance to the secondary things of Christianity and a diminished importance to the first things and the mischief is done. Once alter the proportion of the parts of truth and truth becomes downright error. Lastly but not least, you may completely spoil the gospel by confused and contradictory directions, complicated and obscure statements about faith, baptism, church privileges and the benefits of the Lord's Supper, all jumbled together and thrown down without order before hearers makes the gospel no gospel at all. You see, it's very easy to spoil the gospel. We can spoil the gospel by substitution, by addition, by interposition, by disproportion by confused and contradictory statements. Paul says, it might be tempting to spoil the gospel, to dress it up or to dress it down a little bit, just to make it a bit more palatable palatable to people. But he says, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. They set forth the truth of God plainly. Why? Because they believe in the power of God. They believe in the power of God and the gospel. He goes on to say in verse 3, Even if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the mind of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. For we do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. That is, If people don't understand the gospel, it's not because the message isn't attractive enough. But it's because their minds have been veiled, blinded by the God of this age, by Satan. Satan keeps them from seeing the truth. 
And here's the thing, if that's what's keeping them from understanding, then Paul and Titus and Timothy are powerless to convert them by dressing the gospel up. If what's really keeping them from understanding the gospel is Satan, if he's blinded them, if, he's, if their minds have been veiled to seeing the truth, then tweaking the message won't defeat Satan. How can it cut through then? It can cut through by the power of God. Just as at the creation of the world, God, God made light shine out of darkness by saying, let there be light, just as God spoke and light shone, So Paul says, as we preach the gospel, as God speaks through us, the light of the gospel of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ shines in people's hearts. It's incredible, isn't it? You could say to someone, believe in Jesus, and by the power of God they will. There was, uh, I think it was Spurgeon, uh, who was converted by a preacher, a guy who had no preaching gifts whatsoever. Uh, He stood up to preach and he just said over and over again, repent and believe in Jesus. That's basically what the sermon was for 15, 20 minutes or half an hour, however long it was. And Spurgeon sitting there was converted. Just as God said, let light shine in the darkness. As we speak the gospel, the gospel of God, the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ shines in the hearts of people by God's power. It's a battle to believe that, isn't it? It's a battle to believe that God's words are powerful because we so easily disbelieve it. We so easily imagine, don't we, when we're talking to someone, well, if I say that, they'll never believe me. If I say, well, Jesus was raised from the dead and you'll be raised from the dead too if you believe in Jesus. If I say that, they'll think I'm a crackpot. So I won't say that. Uh, I'll just say Jesus died for your sins. Isn't it? We don't really believe the power of God. You read through the book of Acts. Actually, the thing that the the, uh, apostles preached about most of all was the resurrection of Jesus because the resurrection of Jesus was God's great testimony that Jesus Christ was the Messiah. And yet when was the last time in sharing the gospel with someone that you said Jesus Christ was raised from the dead? I suspect the reason we don't say it is because we don't believe that God's words are powerful words. Paul says we speak the truth plainly. No special tricks. No special training courses. All you need to know is the gospel and then to speak the gospel. Paul says in verse 13, it's written, I believed, therefore I have spoken. Therefore with the same spirit of faith we also believe and therefore speak. Because we know that the one who raised Jesus from the dead will also raise us with with Jesus and present us with you in his presence. Gospel ministry is a plain but powerful ministry, says Paul. But then secondly, 
He says gospel ministry is a life-through-death ministry. It's a plain but powerful ministry. It's also a life-through-death ministry. He goes on to describe it in verse 7. This is what it's like. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus might be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may be revealed in our mortal body. So then, death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. What is it like, Paul? Tell us what gospel ministry is like. Hard-pressed, perplexed, persecuted, struck down, always carrying around in our body the death of Jesus. That's the shape of gospel ministry. We tend to think if ministry isn't going well, if ministry is hard, then it must be my fault. If ministry is killing us, we think to ourselves, well, I mustn't have the gifts. But according to that reasoning, Paul should have thought to himself, well, I don't have the gifts for ministry, clearly, because I'm perplexed, crushed, being given over to death daily. Every person uh, that I know in full-time ministry thinks that they're ill-equipped for it. I don't think I met anyone at Bible college who thought that they uh, had it, had, had it you know, like ministry was a lay-down misere. They all thought they were ill-equipped. And every, every friend of mine that I studied with, if I, probably if I talked to them on the phone today, they would say they feel ill-equipped, they feel harassed, they feel uh, unable to keep going. I have friends who suffer from anxiety, from depression. That's the shape of ministry. Oscar Wilde, when he was dying, famously said, this wallpaper is killing me, one of us has to go. <laughs> Paul says, this ministry is killing me, and one of us has to go. Either the ministry, or me. To persevere in gospel ministry is to put yourself to death. Your preferences your hopes, your dreams, your aspirations, your desires. Think of all the people in this church who serve us by their ministry. The elders, the deacons, the Sunday school teachers, the youth leaders, growth group leaders, ministry teams. That's the shape of their ministry. They're killing themselves for us and for our sake. Next time you drop your child off at Sunday school or at youth group, you might like to think to yourself, these people are dying for the sake of my children. This ministry is killing them so that the gospel might bear fruit in these people's lives. But Paul says... That death is only one side of the gospel ministry. It's only one half. We who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that his life might be revealed in our mortal body. 
So then death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. Paul suffers in his ministry so that the, so that the Corinthians might be mature, so that they might live. So to focus only on the death, the, the hard side of ministry is to miss the point. Gospel ministry isn't only cross-shaped, it's cross- and resurrection-shaped ministry. It's not purposeless suffering or purposeless struggles. We suffer as others come to faith. We suffer as others grow in maturity. Or in the language of chapter 1, the sufferings of Christ overflow into our lives so that the comfort which God pours into our lives might overflow from our lives into the lives of others. That cross and resurrection shaped ministry helps us to gain perspective on the sufferings of ministry. Because for all the struggles and all the difficulties and all the uh, complexities that we face now, for all the cost that we might bear, none of us will ever get to the day of Christ, the last day, and think to ourselves, well, you know what, I wish I hadn't have suffered so much. I wish I hadn't have given up so much. I wish I'd done less ministry and done more gymnastics or whatever it might be. None of us will ever wish that we'd done less, that it had cost us less, because arrayed in splendour with us at that last day will be all those people that we sacrificed ourselves to build up. Paul elsewhere says about the people who he has ministered to, you are our crown in which we will boast. It's not our salvation. On the last day, it won't be our salvation that we'll be boasting in. Isn't it great? Isn't it great that I'm here? Our crown of boast will be, I'm so glad that you're here and that my ministry built you up. One minister once asked, will I bear the scars of ministry for all eternity? To which someone replied, when you hear the words from Jesus, well done, good and faithful servant, all the pain will melt away. Every tear shed by Sunday school teachers on Saturday night as they hurry to get their lessons together. Every time you open the Bible with your family after dinner when you were spent and you had nothing else to give. Every time you fumbled your way through an answer at growth group because you wanted to build people up even though you didn't really know what you were talking about. Every card sent with gospel words to encourage every painful rebuke you wished you hadn't had to give, every word in season and every word out of season, every word met with hostility or derision or laughter or mocking, all those pains will melt away in the glory of Jesus Christ, in the glory of the eternal fruit that those words and that ministry has borne in the life of others. They're all part of God's plan. Paul says, death in us, but life in you. 
Why is that God's plan? Why is it God's plan that ministry should be so difficult, that we should suffer so that others might find life in the gospel? Why does God work it out like that? Surely it would be easier just to make ministry easy. But Paul says in verse 7, here's the reason we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. The reason is so that we would realise that we're not sufficient, that the power comes from God. <laughs> I found this such a rebuke this week as I was, as I was thinking about it because I realised, you know, I think to myself, well, I can't wait till I till uh, I've been in ministry for a few years and I've kind of got it sussed. You know, I've sort of got the sermon writing process down, I've got the pastoral work sort of happening, church administration, all that kind of stuff. I, ca- I can't wait till, I, you know, I'm a bit more experienced because it will be easier. But that's wrong, isn't it? The gospel and gospel, gospel ministry isn't hard because of inexperience. Gospel ministry is hard because that's God's plan. So that we would know that the power is from God and not from us. And yet for all that, God will never allow us to be crushed. Perplexed, yes, but not in despair. Persecuted, yes, but not abandoned. Struck down, yes, but never destroyed. God's plan isn't to destroy us and to crush us. It's to remind us and to remind everybody else as well that God is the powerful one and that we're not. So gospel ministry is a plain but powerful ministry. It's a life through death ministry. And lastly, it's a difficult but not discouraged ministry. Wow, it would be easy, wouldn't it, reading this chapter to go away and think, well, you know what, I just, I can't be bothered. It's too hard. It's surprising that Paul didn't do that after all that he'd gone through. After all that he'd gone through dealing with the two, with the, the two Corinthians, with the Corinthians. But Paul isn't discouraged and he isn't overwhelmed. In fact, twice in this chapter he says something remarkable. He says, therefore we do not lose heart. Why does he say that? Why, how come he doesn't lose heart? The first reason is verse 1. Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Those are such important words for us. They're such important words for us today because I think so many of us are tempted to lose heart, to be discouraged, to give up. We've been trying for so long and it hasn't worked. We've tried this, we tried that and it didn't work. We tried that and it didn't work. We tried this and it didn't work. I've been speaking the gospel uh, to my family, to my neighbour, to my friends, to my work colleagues, to whoever it is. I've been doing that for 20 years now and it hasn't worked. No, we don't lose heart, Paul says. Because this ministry is a gift of God's mercy. 
doesn't seem much like a gift of God's mercy, does it? But it is. Those words are my motto for this year. Since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. They're my motto because every day, almost, I want to give up and be a librarian or something like that. What great and encouraging words from Paul. This ministry that we have, that we all have, is a gift of God's mercy to us and to the church. So Paul doesn't lose heart because it's a gift because his ministry is a gift of God's mercy. But second, in verse 16, he says, Therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Paul doesn't lose heart because the ministry which God has given him is changing him. It's destroying him on the outside, but inside He's being renewed day by day. His ministry is renewing other people, death through us, death in us, life in you, but his ministry is also changing him. He's not just talking about his life. He's not just saying that as we get older our bodies waste away, but inside we're being renewed. He's not just talking about the slow decay of life which is changing him. He's saying that his ministry is changing him. The gospel ministry which God gives to each of us might be killing us. It might be killing our hopes and dreams. It might be driving us to give up our most cherished possessions or our most cherished relationships. But that's okay. It's okay to die on the outside because inside we're being renewed day by day. Every day, Paul says, with, we with unveiled faces reflect the Lord's glory and are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory. Gospel ministry not only changes others, it changes us as well. And why should it be? Jesus' ministry to us killed him, but it also brought about his resurrection from the dead. And we shouldn't be surprised when our ministry, when Jesus' ministry is powerfully at work in us, that it will involve our great weakness and God's great power. Paul says, We who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may be revealed in our mortal body. So then, death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. Let's pray. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the ministry of the Apostle Paul. And Lord, as we read these words in this chapter, we get a sense of his tremendous suffering and his tremendous anguish for the sake of the church in Corinth 
and even for our sake as we sit here 2,000 years later and read his words and benefit from his ministry. And Lord, we want to pause to think of all those people in our lives whom you have used for our benefit and for our good. Those people who served us with the words of the gospel. Lord, whether it be ministers from our youth, whether it be our parents, uncles and aunts, friends, brothers and sisters, youth leaders, Sunday school teachers. Lord, we thank you for the work that you have done through them in us. Lord, thank you that through their suffering and misery and difficulty and perplexity that you have used them to build us up in a holy faith. And Lord, we pray that as with Paul, we might be able to say, just as we have believed, so also we speak. That Lord, we might not be merely recipients of ministry, but also people who are engaged in serving others with the words of the gospel as well. Lord, as we see the shape of gospel ministry, we all feel inadequate. And Lord, we might feel scared as well. Uh, The cost seems too high. And Lord, we feel unable to bear up under the weight. But Lord, we pray that you would help us to remember that your task is not to crush us, but to remind us of your awesome and glorious power. We ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen.